Good morning, church. It is so great to see you. Do you love this weather or not? This is pretty cool stuff. Uh, so welcome everybody here at Lenexa, those watching at Speedway, those watching online. Now, uh, I've been here uh, a number of years now, and over the years I have been uh, um, faithful to tell you that I struggled uh, with clinical depression. And I just want to remind you that I, do, I don't tell you that because it's fun. As a matter of fact, I would prefer that you did not know that about me, particularly those of you who have never struggled with depression, like I did for many years of my life, because whenever someone shared it with me, I would always give them the look, and I hate the look. The look is the eyebrows go up, the head tilts, the lips pierce, and they look like, hmm, he might be crazy, right? So I don't want that. However, I share it out of obedience to God. That I might be able to broadcast three things. Number one, you are not alone. Number two, as we said before, it's okay not to be okay. Still show up at church. And finally, but God does not intend to leave us here. Can I get an amen? He doesn't intend to leave us here. Now, I want you to also know that I know that I'm not alone. Research tells us that one out of every 10 American adults suffers from severe depression. And that matches with the survey we did at the beginning of the series, Through the Valley. One out of every 10 adults. I can count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And one of you is deeply struggling as I talk. But the biggest spike has been in our students. Since 2010, we see that amongst girls, the spike has increased 145%. Amongst boys, 161%. I've seen uh, just yesterday a study that shows 57% of teenage girls are now saying that they're sad. So we go one, two, one of you is, one, two, one of you is, one, two, one of you is. But we also see that this is not uncommon in any time in human history. As a matter of fact, as we open up the scriptures, uh, I, count, I found, with, without much looking, five significant Bible heroes, characters in the Bible who we would see considered heroes who struggle from depression. Let me remind you of them. The first one is Job, who is a successful businessman. He writes, depression haunts my days. At night, my bones are filled with pain, which gnaws at me relentlessly. With my with a strong hand, God grabs my shirt. He grips me by the collar of my coat. He has thrown me into the mud. I am nothing more than dust and ashes. I cry out to you, O God, but you not, do not answer. I stand before you, but you don't even look. That's depression. Then we have Elijah, who is a famous prophet. He writes, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. That's depression. Then we go to King David, who writes, I am worn out from my sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. My vision is blurred by grief. Then we go to Jeremiah, another famous prophet. He writes, I have cried until my tears no longer come. My heart is broken. That's depression. And then we have a guy named Heman, who is the son of Korah, who is a priest. Yeah, now we're talking about priests and pastors suffering from depression. He writes, I am forgotten. 
cut off from your care. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down with wave after wave. You have engulfed me. That's depression. We open up Psalm chapter 42 and verse 5, and we have another son of Korah, another priest, who asks this question. He says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? And that may be what some of you are asking right now. Why am I, why am I so sad? What's going on inside of me? And so what I want to do is uh, give you a bit of an understanding of what is actually going on inside of your body when we struggle with depression. So neuroscience has able with, with, uh, will help us with that. So what I want to do is I have a, a little person up here, maybe it represents you. I want to kind of walk through it. Now, this depression is very, very complicated, and this is kind of the basics. There's all kinds of different levels and things, but this will give you the basic understanding as to the, uh, to the answer to, to, to the Sons of Korah's question, okay? So the first thing that happens is that an event takes place. That event can be uh, the betrayal of a friend. It could be uh, trauma from military service. It could be the loss of a job or bankruptcy or the loss of a loved one. It could be some sort of trauma that's taken place in your life. And that event actually can even take place inside of you like you had a baby. Yeah, you've heard of post partum depression, right? This event takes place that just throws things off. And so that event comes into your brain. Now your brain has three different sections to it. There's the super low part that's called the reptilian brain. It's what reptiles have. And it's why uh, snakes don't really get that excited when you try to snuggle with them. They don't have the ability to do so. And then this middle part of your brain is called the mammalian part, or what mammals have. Uh, it's also called the limbic system, and it's where fear, our fear system resides, and how we handle fear. And this upper part of our brain, which makes us unique as humans, it's a third of our brain called the prefrontal cortex. It's the thinking part of our brain, the executive center, and it's also where love resides. So what happens is this event comes into a thing called the hyper, hypothalamus, which is the place that re receives this information. And in a quarter of a second, the hypothalamus is going to determine what to do with this information. A quarter of a second, if it determines that it's a threat to us, it's going to send a signal to this little adrenal gland that sits on top of your kidneys. It's going to send a signal that we've got a problem here, and the adrenal gland is going to release a chemical that God has given us called cortisol and adrenaline, okay? And it's going to run throughout our body, and this is a good thing. Yeah, it's a chemical that God has given us so that we can deal with the threats in our life. You're out in the jungle and you're with a group of friends and a lion jumps out. This cortisol and adrenaline gives you the ability to outrun the slowest member of your group. Yes, that's what it's for. So it is, a, it is a good thing. But there is a real challenge to the cortisol when it's released because there, is, there are these messengers that go through our body, these messengers that go through our body called serotonin and dopamine, okay? And when these things are properly flowing through our body, they produce motivation and pleasure. Motivation and pleasure. The problem is cortisol inhibits 
the serotonin and dopamine so that motivation and pleasure go down. The cortisol does also another thing. It enlarges a part of your brain called the amygdala, and the amygdala is where your mood is controlled, and uh, so because it's sort of enlarged, you experience mood swings, and then you also begin to experience sleepless nights, right? Because you don't want to let go, because sleep is vulnerable, and so you're your adrenaline and cortisol, your amygdala is, is, is keeping you from going to sleep because you're in danger. It also sends a message to the heart and causes it to speed up, giving you that sense that you're always in present danger. And not only that, but it sends a message to your stomach, to your digestive system, either causing you to binge eat or to lose your appetite. In my case, I lost my appetite in a few short months. I dropped 20 pounds. 20 pounds, yeah. I was gonna write a diet book on it and realized it's not a good idea, right? Not a good idea. So, what happens with depression is that you lack motivation, you lack pleasure, you can't find pleasure in things, you're dealing with mood swings, which is causing the people around you to be irritated with you, you're dealing with sleepless nights. Your heart is racing. You feel like you're in constant danger. And something's wrong with your gut. That, my friends, is called depression. Now, the reality is, many times, you can just work this through. And in a day, a week, or maybe 30 days, you come out of it. In other words, you start to go up here in the thinking part of your brain and you start to rationalize what's really going on here, you calm down, you go back to sleep. Matter of fact, this is where love resides, we said, and the scripture says, perfect love casts out fear. This part of your brain is way stronger than this part of your brain when we let it work. That's what God says, perfect love casts out fears. But there are times when it doesn't work out and you need some help. And that's what happened to me. I wasn't gonna be able to fix this all on my own. As a matter of fact, my psychiatrist said uh, this, said, you stayed in the basement of your brain too long and now someone has locked the door and you can't get back upstairs to the thinking part of your brain again on your own. And so I needed help. Now, I wanna to talk to you about the 10 things you can do the top 10 things that you can do to not only help you move out of depression, but even more importantly for most of you, to keep yourself from depression, uh, preventative steps. So I wanna sh share these top 10 with you, and I wanna remind you that throughout this series, we tried to be very careful and, uh, and, and let you know that even though you're in church, that we believe that mental health is not simply always fixed by having more faith or praying harder, that in reality it takes a variety of things. For example, uh, King David, who is considered a man after God's own heart, that comes from scripture, a man after God's own, own heart, suffered from clinical depression. Some, after studying the writings of David, said he was bipolar, meaning that a strong spiritual man or woman can at the same time struggle with depression. Does that make sense? And so these... Um, 10 suggestions I'm gonna kind of walk through pretty quickly. 
and invite you to take some notes. Um, The first four of them are going to be biological, meaning that they deal with your physical life, your physical body. The next five are going to be more spiritual in nature, coming from Scripture, dealing with your relationship with God. And the final is clinical, meaning it's going to require some additional help. Now, the first four, uh, the physical ones, the biological ones, spells the word eggs, if you want to remember that. And uh, here we go. The very first thing you can do, top 10, is you can exercise. Yeah. Exercising releases uh, uh, serotonin and dopamine, but it also releases a chemical called endorphins. And endorphin is a chemical that God gives us to control pain. It is, uh, if you will, a, a natural morphine, source of morphine that reduces the pain in our life. Specialists tell us that you need to exercise around 30 minutes a day. When I was struggling with clinical depression, my doctor encouraged me to exercise even more. I was already running four or five Ks a week. Now I'm running two 5Ks a day. And today I'm not only running, but I'm doing some additional exercises under the advisement of my good friend Charles Pointer right here in the front row, uh, who is buff. And uh, I'm going to soon look like him. And that's going to be really cool. So I uh, exercise, and uh, it's just doing amazing things. So I want to encourage you to exercise, get out, exercise at least 30 minutes a day. Okay? That's number one. Number two, G, okay? It is get outside. We were not created by God to be in a cave. Vitamin D is your friend. God has designed it so vitamin D is going to stimulate that serotonin and dopamine. I can't believe the number is so low, but it is suggested that you need to get outside at least five minutes a day. Five minutes a day. I was in an airplane coming back to Kansas City uh, yesterday, and it was daylight, it was bright, it was sunny, and uh, everybody in the plane has their windows closed. Older people are watching stupid movies. Young people are playing games. And I'm saying, open the window and look at the beauty of the clouds and the mountains, right? And so I drive a convertible. Yes. Now, I don't do it just to look cool, even though I do. I do it for medicinal purposes. Amen. The second G is... The second G is uh, going to be uh, good mood foods. Eat good mood foods, okay? We're not talking about ice cream and chocolate cake. And I'm not gonna give you the list, but I'm gonna encourage you to go to the Westside app, look under the gathering notes, and you will see a list of the top types of food, not necessarily to lose weight, although I think that'll happen, but to stimulate your serotonin and your dopamine, okay? The last physical Uh, recommendation is going to be probably the most important of all, and it's called sleep. Sleep. National Institute of Health says the average American adult needs eight and a half hours of sleep a night. Teenagers, 10, not 12, 10. And uh, the, 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 the magic number seems to be seven. If you can get seven, then you're going to maintain some good brain health. Anything under that, you are getting yourself into long-term trouble. See, what happens, we've now discovered through uh, neuroscience, is that when you are sleeping, it turns out to be one of the most productive things you can do. 
When you are sleeping, particularly deep REM sleep, you are actually flushing your brain of toxins, flushing your brain of toxins that is really, really good for you. But not only, oh, some call that a, a, a cerebral dishwasher, yeah, which I think is pretty cool. But that's not all. Uh, here's what one uh, doctor writes. It turns out that during sleep, especially the cycles of uh, deep dream sleep, the brain doesn't just revisit the events of the day. It is processing the emotions attached to these recollections. When a memory is filed away during sleep, it's also stripped of the powerful feelings like fear, grief, anger that might have clouded the experience in the heat of the moment. Some call this overnight therapy, and it's free. A lack of sleep, we know, will trigger such things as depression and schizophrenia. So take sleep seriously. I get typically eight to nine hours of sleep a night, and I have arranged my schedule so that in the last 25 years, with just a few exceptions, I never set an alarm. So I'm going to encourage you to practice your sleeping, just don't do it now during my sermon, okay? Do it later. All right, the, now let's move to some spiritual recommendations. I have five for you. And uh, it happens that uh, we can find these solutions throughout the Bible, but particularly in the book of Philippians, where Paul writes the treatise on joy, and he happens to be writing from prison. How does a guy who is in prison write the biblical treatise on joy? It's because he was dialed in to what actually keeps us out of depression and promotes um, joy. The, the next principle, principle number five, is happy memories. Happy memories. Paul opens up this letter to the Philippian believers saying, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. What Paul is practicing here, what he's doing intentionally, is that he is recalling memories from his relationship with the Philippian believers, who's the only church over the years that have supported him in his work, and even now that he is in prison. And here is a, a trick that God uh, uh, tells us about the brain. Whenever, uh, well, it's a place called the hippocampus. It's also right around here somewhere. And it's the part of your brain that stores and files all of your memories. And here's what we've recently learned. When you rehearse or recall a memory, you make that memory stronger. So when you choose to recall good memories of your past, you strengthen that memory and it helps you overcome the struggles and trials of the day. And so as a guy who doesn't want to be depressed, I have been practicing that intentionally. And one of the ways in which I do it is I have pictures in both of my offices and so on when I'm working. I have pictures like this as you're just two of them. And when I see these pictures, they recall in my mind memories all day. This first one is of Ray and Mary Graham. I'm an adult here, but I first met them when I was a little kid. Ray and Mary Graham are the, two, are the people that invited me to church. 
And every time I see this picture, yeah, you can't see it, yeah. Every time I see this picture, I'm reminded that I have hope in eternal life. Yeah, and then I'm here today. And then this next picture is just one I chose. This is a picture of me with a guy named Lyle Schaller. Lyle Schaller was a prolific writer who met with me one day and then sent me a letter. And I, had, I wasn't looking for it, but he gave me the opportunity to write my first book at the age of 32. He saw this in me, and I rehearsed that memory. And every time I rehearse it, because I see the picture, it strengthens that memory and helps me deal with what I'm facing in the day. Now, the next one, number six, is called goal achievement. Goal achievement. Philippians chapter three, Paul writes, there's one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ Jesus has called me heaven, heavenly word in Christ Jesus. We know that when you achieve a goal, it releases dopamine, which is good for you. Now, big goals are great. They are great, and you should try to set them. But when you are depressed, you're struggling with motivation. So a series of small goals will get you to the same result. For me, now for years, the very first thing I do when I get out of bed is I make the bed. I make the bed. It is my first win of the day. And then I have already created the night before a little sticky note of what I'm going to do for the next day. Here it is for tomorrow. Uh, make bed. And then I check it off. Boom, I'm ahead of everybody. Then I exercise, and then I pray and do my journaling. I've got a message to write tomorrow because I'm speaking again next week. I've got a 4.30 Zoom, and then we're going to finish off with dinner. It's going to be at 6 o'clock. I'm doing pasta bolognese with my wife. Now, why did I put that down? Because you do not want to work past 6 o'clock. You want to get yourself ready for sleep. One of the reasons some of you are struggling is you continue to do work. You continue to do work. Not good, unless you have third shift, can't do anything about it. But you want to keep uh, yourself from working. And I want to look forward to something. Hey, when you're married to an Italian woman, you can look forward all day to pasta bolognese. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? Amen, amen, amen. Okay, number seven, prayer and meditation. Now, Philippians chapter four, verses six through eight, you should memorize them because neuroscience would say this is probably the best single advice you can get about mental health anywhere in the world, no matter what the journals are. Meditation is the best medicine. So Paul writes in verses six and seven, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You have to find what works for you but what will not work for you is eliminating prayer and for, for me meditation and prayer as a part of your regular life. You've got to figure it out. For me, uh, I start off my prayer in the morning after my exercise got endorphins flowing through my body, dopamine's hitting, boom, boom, and then I rehearse the top 30 ideas that came out of our belief study. I start by being grateful, and I rehearse, you are the one true God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's how I start. It's very, very good to start your day remembering that there is a God, and it's not you. Number two, I believe you're involved in care about my daily life. 
I'm not going alone today. You're with me. Number three, I believe the Bible is the word of God and it guides my beliefs and actions. Number four, I believe that I have come, no, I believe that, uh, the, that everything I am, no, no. I believe the Bible is the word of God, guides my, oh, I believe I am uh, significant because of my position as a child of God. Man, so I go through all 30 of those, and then I go through a time of prayer with thanksgiving, and I have a little tiny sticky note like this uh, of my prayer request that I, I do that, and I do it with thanksgiving, and then I finish by journaling. I just write out my thoughts. When I was depressed, I read a psalm, and then I journaled, and I've been doing it ever since, and I'm on the journal number 68. You can kind of take a look at my journals, and uh, I am taking this serious. Now, I don't do this to impress you, I don't do this because I'm disciplined. I do this out of desperation. I do not want to go back into the black hole again. And the scripture tells us that prayer and meditation will help you in that way. All right, number eight. Number eight is the single number one thing you can do. Not only does the scripture say this, but neurologists tell you this is the single number one thing you can do, and it's called gratitude. Psalm cha- I mean, uh, Philippians chapter four, verse eight, Paul writes, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. When you engage in the discipline of gratitude, new research says if you'll just take every night for one week and write three things that you're grateful for, it will improve your moves for most people upwards to six months. So it's a discipline. It is an action that you can take. One neurologist writes, it is a fact of neurology that the brain cannot be in the state of appreciation and the state of fear at the same time. Number nine, worship music. In the Old Testament, King Saul is depressed. Now, his depression is rooted in a spiritual problem. His was spiritual. And so they brought in young David to play the harp, to play the lyre. And we are told when he did so uh, that Saul then felt relief. It would come to him and he would feel better. God has designed music to move the soul and to heal the mind. And so you need to listen to music. All kinds of music will work. Maybe not country, but all kinds of music. Or I'm just kidding. I love country music. I love country music. I do. Um, I have a guy that I golf with in my neighborhood. He always plays uh, yacht rock. It's like 80s music. That works for me. Uh, two nights ago, I was sitting with some, some friends, and he put on Andrew Botticelli uh, radio, and it just moved my soul. But nothing moves my soul like worship music. And so we created this Spotify playlist I think it's got 48 songs on it that will just lift up your spirits. Take a picture of that and start listening to music. Now, the last thing is uh, clinical. You need help. It's called therapy and medication. I've told you before that when I was in the depths of my depression, I had four doctors, my, my internal medicine doctor, my counselor, my psychologist, and my psychiatrist, 
and I met with them. I also had a small group of friends that were gathering around me. I was not going it alone. And I want to encourage you that as we continue in this unshakable initiative, this is what it's all about, that you seek help, that you do not go it alone, and that you help others. We have this little card that if you didn't pick one up, pick it up. It has all the information. It's on our website. It's on our app. So go to westsidefamily.church care for all of that. And every now and again, it's going to take medication. And for some of you, you're going to be on medication for a long time. And it's okay if it's under the advisement of your doctor. For me, um, my story is uh, we tried all kinds of different medicines. Some of them scared the bejeebies out of me. But finally, my doctor said, let's try Xanax. We have a fellow sister down here. I didn't say Xantax, I said Xanax. And uh, three months of Xanax, it just calmed my heart and put me back to sleep. Once the sleep happened, I was restoring, and along with prayer and all the other nine things, uh, today it's been seven years since I have been depressed. But the truth is, some of you are still struggling with it, and some of you will struggle with it for a long time, like David did. And I want to introduce you to another Westsider who's being courageous today to tell you that he's still in it, and he wants to offer you some encouragement. Take a look at this. My name is Jeremy McDowell, and on the outside, everything looks normal. But on the inside, I'm battling with depression. Looking back now, definitely is something I've dealt with at some points in my childhood and dealt with early on in our marriage and through several years, but it, I never really got the, the proper help. And it wasn't until post-COVID coming through the pandemic, um, I was going through uh, acquisition of the company that I own. And in December of 2020, I sold that company. Even though at the age of 43, it's supposed to be the pinnacle of success from uh, being able to sell your, your, your business and have some runway in life. But um, the reality of it is on the inside, I was torn up and I had no idea why. Um, and so it was really that episode of losing, selling my business and, and that episode of loss um, that I really spiraled out of control. I think that in the beginning, it created some distance. I think that neither of us knew exactly what was going on or how to handle the different emotions and feelings. Sometimes I didn't know he was struggling with the depression, the anxiety, and I thought maybe he was angry, upset, just uninterested in what was going on. So navigating through all those different emotions, then you become sad too because you don't realize it all. And even when you're sad, I think sometimes you can still become angry and upset because um, you can take things personal. Because I would not want my family to see how I felt, I would just drive and I would just cry. I rented a couple hotel rooms just to lay in bed, just to lay in a fetal position and just bawl my eyes out.
always been told behind every face there's a story unfolding. And for the most part, you know, things have gone, you know, on the outside pretty good for me. It wasn't until this episode that um, things just began to spiral in a way that I couldn't control. It really wasn't until the end of 2021 that Carrie and I both knew we needed professional help around us. And it was that when we enrolled in some counseling sessions and then also uh, found ourselves a, a psychiatrist and we've been on that journey now the last 18 months. I think there's a lot of emotions and um, there's lots, been lots of highs and lows. As with anything, you know, any sickness, there's different feelings and emotions. There's days that you're happy because it's not as bad. There's days that you're very scared and sad because um, it seems like a really bad day. Each day is just a day and that day is gonna pass and tomorrow's gonna be a new day. And just trying to get strength from God, his word, um, and let him guide us. Just remembering that and knowing that the day, that day is gonna pass and a new day will be here. If you're battling depression or any type of mental illness, um, you've gotta get the proper help. That can look different for everybody, but you've gotta find a professional team around you of psychologists, psychiatrists, you know, we've got a great resource here at the church with the care center. You've got to get plugged into an A2 community. Um, you've got to find a way to get outside um, and, and get some sun. And you've got to bring your family along in this journey. I'm worthless. Jeremy is loved. I'm not Jeremy good enough. Jeremy is important to me and the rest of the I'm family. I'm invisible. He's the rock and People even know I'm here. Um, he is a I'm very supportive flesh, husband. But I There's love no him part of me that my has heart. any emotional connection. I know that he loves me as well. Isolated. He's not alone. Abandoned. We're there side by side with him, and we always will be. Hurt. Through the good and the ugly. Yeah. Thank you, Jeremy and Carrie. People are going to give you the look, but thanks for your obedience. So John chapter 15, Jesus said that he wants to be connected to us, that we make a choice to, as a branch, be connected to his vine. And when that happens, the nutrients of Jesus flows from the inside out of us. And you got to have that. And he said, when you do, then my joy will be complete in you. I don't know about you, but I don't want the joy that the world offers. It is conditional and it's, it, it has so many things that have to go right, but the joy that Jesus offers is in spite of my circumstances, in spite of my past, in spite of other people. And so we come to this simple meal and we remind ourselves of what Christ did for us and that we take him in we take Christ into us so that we might have not only his forgiveness, but his complete joy. So church, let's do this. Father, we thank you today for Jesus and the voluntary decision he made to come and wrap himself in vulnerable flesh and to experience all that we've experienced, including anxiety and struggle 
And we thank you that he's offered up himself so that we could be forgiven and be in a relationship with you, that we could be grafted into the vine of Christ. And now we want more than anything for the nutrients of Christ to flow into us so that the joy might flow out of us for the benefit of the others in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, the body of Christ. Church, the blood of Jesus. Let's be standing to our feet.